Uh, morning, everyone. What an incredible song that is. Uh, thank you, Peter, for leading us this morning. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Hilary. Uh, before I cleared off on holiday and before I had a daughter who was engaged, uh, we spent two Sundays looking at the first two chapters in Samson's story, Judges 13 and Judges 14. Today and next Sunday, we're going to look at the final two chapters in that story, Judges 15 and Judges 16. But because there's, there's been a gap of a month, uh, let me remind you where we kind of left the story and where we, we left Samson. So at the end of Judges 14, Samson had called his wife or he had referred to his wife. Can anybody remember how Samson referred to his new wife? Yeah, as a heifer. Okay, well, it wasn't a great start to married life, but he, Ben, take note, but he called her a heifer. And Samson, that'll be the last reference, Samson uh, then went out and killed 30 men in order to pay out on a bet. And after that, Samson moved back home with his mom and dad without his new wife, and subsequently, his father-in-law gave his new wife to one of his wedding guests. So, Judges chapter 14 did not end well, and Samson does not look good. And so the question I want to ask you this morning is, what do you make of Samson? A number of you have, have talked to me about him as a character, but what do you make of Samson? Well, I think it's fair to say that people have mixed feelings about him. And as we read more of his story, as we'll do in a moment, and I've just realized, Martin and Hillary, I forgot to get the wee clicker off you. Can I grab that wee clicker? Thank you very much. Brilliant. Thanks, Richard. As we, as we read more of his story, as we're going to do in a moment, you can understand why people have got mixed feelings about Samson. He does some crazy things. Like in Judges 15 that, that, that we're about to, to read, he somehow catches 300 foxes or jackals, not quite sure, and he ties their tails together in pairs, and then he fastens a lit torch to each set of tails, and then he lets the foxes loose in a field to cause maximum damage to people's livelihoods, never mind cause incredible trauma to the animals. It's shocking what Samson does. And so it's no wonder that his actions and his reactions and his behavior at times confuses and offends many people. They are offended by Samson. And yet, and this is really what I want to share this morning, yet what we have got to understand, what we have got to get our heads around is that Samson is God's man. Samson is God's man. He is God's deliverer. He is God's appointed savior of his people. He is blessed by God. He is empowered by the spirit of God. And Samson is used to accomplish the purposes of God. Samson's messed up. Samson is weak. He is deeply, deeply flawed, but he's Christ-like. As we're gonna see this morning and next week. And, and so however you and I feel about him, we need to acknowledge and accept that Samson's a hero. 
He is a hero of the Christian faith. And the reason I can say that is because the writer of Hebrews, and we looked at this a number of weeks ago, the writer of Hebrews confirms that Samson is a hero of the Christian faith because he lists him alongside greats like Abraham and Moses. In that faith hall of fame, Samson is there. And so as we read on, I want us to bear in mind that you see whenever God is involved in a person's life, weakness is turned to strength. And God uses the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. And the next chapter that we're going to read ends with this striking phrase, you, God, have granted this great salvation. So you see, whatever else is going on and whatever else we make of what is going on, God is at work, God is saving, God is rescuing, God is delivering his people through this messed up, weak, flawed individual. So let's read on. This is Judges 15. Please stand for the far from dull word of God. So this is Judges chapter 15 for those who have a copy of God's word in front. The words will be on the screen. Matt, if you can flick through the, the slides for me. After some days, remember Samson's gone back home. After some days at the time of the wheat harvest, Samson went to visit his wife with a young goat. And he said, I will go into my wife in the chamber, but her father would not allow him to go in. And her father said, I really thought that you utterly hated her. So I have given her to your companion. Is not her younger sister more beautiful than she is? Please take her instead. Samson said to him, this time I shall be innocent in regard to the Philistines when I do them harm. So Samson went and he caught 300 foxes and he took torches and he turned them tail to tail and he put a torch between each pair of tails. And when he had set fire to the torches, he let the foxes go into the standing corn of the Philistines and set fire to the stacked corn as well as to the olive orchards. And then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they said, Samson the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken his wife and given her to one of his companions. And the Philistines came up and burned her and burned her father. Samson said to them, if this is what you do, I swear I will be avenged on you. And after that, I'll quit. And he struck them heap and thigh with a great blow, and he went down, and he stayed in the cleft of the rock at Etam. And then the Philistines came up, and they encamped in Judah, and they made a raid on Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? They said, we have come up to bind Samson, to do to him as he did to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock of Etam and said to Samson, Do you not know that the Philistines are rulers over us? What then is this that you have done to us? And he said to them, As they did to me, so I have done to them. And they said to him, We have come down to bind you, that we may give you into the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear to me that you will not attack me yourselves. And they said to him, No. We will only bind you and will give you into their hands. We will surely not kill you. So they bound him with two new ropes and they brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting to meet him. Then the spirit of the Lord rushed upon Samson. 
And the ropes that were on his arms, they became as flax as they caught fire, and his bonds melted off his hands. And he found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, and he put it in his hand, and he took it, and with it he struck 1,000 men. And Samson said, he kind of sang, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have struck down a 1,000 men. And as soon as he finished speaking, he threw the jawbone out of his hand. And that place was called Ramathlei. And he was very thirsty. And he called upon the Lord and he said, You have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. And shall I now die of thirst and fall into the hands of the uncircumcised? And God split open the hollow place that is at Lei, and water came out of it. And when Samson drank, his spirit returned and he revived. And therefore the name of it was Enhachor. It is at Lea to this day. And he judged Israel in the days of the Philistines for 20 years. Grab a seat. It's, it's an amazing story. It's incredible. It is, as someone said to me in the way in this morning, it's bizarre. Samson hadn't exactly made a great start to married life. He had been offensive to his wife. He had done a runner. And so at the start of this chapter, he decides to go back and make up or make something. And to ease himself back into his wife's good books, he brings a gift, brings a young goat. But there's a problem. It's a huge problem. His father-in-law won't let him near her. Won't let him near her. And the reason he won't let him near her is because he thought Samson hated her. And so what did he do? He gave his daughter to someone else. But to compensate, he, he offers Samson his other, his younger, and to quote the dad, his more beautiful, which is a bit harsh for a dad to say that, his more beautiful daughter to him instead. Samson's not impressed. See, Samson does have some kind of moral framework. So he's not impressed. And so he decides he's going to get his own back in the Philistines by destroying their crops, and that's where these fire foxes come in. And if you look at verse 1, you'll note that this is harvest time. So Samson doing this at harvest time causes maximum mayhem and damage. And as I say, hello, I doubt if there's anybody here who kind of likes what Samson has done. What he's done to the livelihood of a bunch of people. What he's done to 300 foxes or jackals. Don't forget, Samson has been specifically appointed to deliver his people from the Philistines. And the Philistines, as we know from the background of the story, have been oppressing the Israelites for 40 years. So who's to say this is not part of God's deliverance? As you can imagine, the, the, the Philistines are livid. They're absolutely livid at what he's done. And so they decide to hit back, and they want to find out who did this, but more importantly, why did he do this? And whenever they find out that Samson did this, but the reason he did this was because his father-in-law gave his wife away, what did the Philistines do? They go and burn Samson's wife and his father-in-law. The Philistines think, well, that's going to put an end to this feud. That's it over. Well, if they thought that, there'd another thing coming because whenever Samson gets word of what the Philistines have done to his wife and his father-in-law, he promises, he swears, he takes a vow to take revenge. Now, ordinarily for the people of God or for anybody for that matter, revenge is a no-go. 
to no go. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. But you see, whenever Samson is God's appointed judge, then revenge for him may be perfectly legit. And so Samson, who turns out to be a one-man killing machine, at this point in the story, he goes and he kills an unnumbered number of Philistines. It's messy, isn't it? This is uncomfortable. But yet, what we've got to recognize, what we've got to acknowledge, God is still in control. God is working out his purposes through this one-man killing machine. And then we come to an even more intriguing aspect of the story. And this is where the people of God get involved. Now, as we look at and as we think about what they do, I want to suggest there are some challenges here for us. This game of tit for tat isn't over. And so the Philistines now regroup. Yes, an unnumbered number of their people have been killed by this one-man killing machine, but they regroup and they gather an army and they head for Judah in search of Samson. And the men of Judah, it says, those are the people of God, they intercept this army, and they ask them, why are you coming up against us? Now remember, the Philistines have been coming up against them for 40 years. But the reason, and they quickly discover this, the reason that the Philistines are coming up against them this time is to get Samson. Samson, who is the people of God's deliverer, he is their savior, So the question is, what are the people of God going to do with their deliverer and their savior? Are they going to protect him? Are they going to cover for him? Are they going to get behind him? Are they going to defend him? Are they going to support him? No, they're not. They're going to hand him over. The people of God are not going to support their deliverer. They're going to give him up. They're going to side with their oppressors Instead, and now you see we're into Christ-like territory. Let's keep going. And so the people of God who have decided to give up and give over their deliverer, the people of God gather their own army and they go in search of Samson and they take 3,000. Like, what is going on? And when these 3,000 people of God find Samson, They make it pretty clear to him where their allegiance lays. They have now forgotten what the Philistines have done to them for 40 years plus. And now they're asking Samson, Samson, what have you done to us? What have you done to us? And so they bind him and they hand him over to be executed. And it all all sounds so disturbingly familiar God's appointed deliverer handed over by his own people to be put to death. But there's another angle in this, which maybe needs to be mentioned or considered and taken into account. And I came across this thought during the week as I read what someone else had written into this. And so this is not an original thought, not my thought. I don't have an original thought in my head, right? But it's an interesting one. Is there something Is there anything that we have been given by God that we're effectively compromising on, handing over to the world and the culture around us in the hope that we'll become less offensive and more acceptable? Is there something that we have been given by God that we're effectively compromising on, handing over to the world and the culture around us in the hope that it will make us less offensive and more acceptable? Is there a God-given gift that we're in danger of surrendering for an easier life? 
Is there a God-given gift that we are prepared to sacrifice in order to please others and to back down and to blend in? Just a thought. I can think of a few things. I'm not going to name them. I'm just going to leave that with you to think about. And back to the text, because what does Samson do with this plan to be handed over to the enemy? What does he do? He submits to it, just like Jesus. So he's effectively led like a lamb to the slaughter. Death and defeat now seem inevitable for Samson, but something happens at this point. Something supernatural occurs. Something out of this world happens. The Spirit of the Lord, it says, rushes upon Samson. It comes powerfully upon him. And why does that happen? That's the question I want to ask. Why does that happen? Because God's in control of this guy's life and actions. God is still active in and through this complex character. And so the ropes that held him, that restrict him, the bindings that the people of God had used to tie him up, they miraculously disintegrate. They melt. And so empowered by the Spirit of the Lord, Samson grabs a rather crude weapon. And it's the jawbone of a donkey. And what I find fascinating is that the text says it was fresh, which implies he took it straight from a living donkey. And he proceeds with this fresh jawbone that he's just effectively ripped out from a donkey. And he defeats the Philistines. You see, the Philistines had come rushing, verse 14, they, had been, they came rushing towards Samson, screaming. The Spirit of God comes rushing on Samson and there's stunned silence as a thousand of them are struck down by this one-man killing machine. And again, whatever we make of this, whatever we think of this, we have got to acknowledge, and the reason we've got to acknowledge this is because the text does, the Spirit of God empowers Samson to do this. However we think about this, this is God, as a, this is God accomplishing his purposes. God is enabling Samson to defeat his enemy and as a result to rescue and redeem and deliver his people, which is exactly what Samson was appointed to do. The narrator tells us in verse 17 that the scene of this supernatural victory, the place where what initially looked like it was going to end badly for God's deliverer but didn't, it's given a name, and the name is Ramath Leah, which if you've got a study Bible and look down at the bottom of the footnotes will tell you it means hill of the jawbone. And again, without getting too carried away, pressing us too much, I think it's interesting that the scene of Jesus' crushing victory of the ultimate enemy was on a hill outside Jerusalem that had a similar name, Golgotha, meaning the place of the skull, another venue that initially looked like it was going to end so badly, but didn't. And so on Jawbone Hill, which sounds like the title of a war movie, doesn't it? On Jawbone Hill, Samson defeats the enemy, and then he writes a song, and then Samson does something he hasn't done before. I'm nearly done. This point in the story, Samson does something that he has never done before, at least not according to the version we have in Judges. Samson talks to God. Samson talks to God. And although he appears to be driven to prayer because of a personal need, he's thirsty. And he's wanting God to provide for him. It's the opening line of his prayer to God that, in a sense, unlocks so much of the mystery of what is going on 
about this fascinating judge. And so what does Samson pray? He prays, God, you have granted this great salvation by the hand of your servant. You see, whatever else we think of Samson, whatever else we make of what is happening in these disturbing events and incidents, Samson clarifies for us for all time that what is going on here is God is saving God is delivering, and he's delivering his people. And how is he doing that? By the hand of this messed up, weak, flawed, rash individual. Samson's not a loose cannon. Samson is not an out-of-control liability. He is God's servant. And God's at work through him. See, what happened at Jawbone Hill wasn't a personal vendetta. It was God rescuing his people. So is Samson perfect? Like the ultimate deliverer who he parallels in so many ways? No, he's not. He is a deeply flawed human being, driven by far too many of his own desires. But is Samson faithful? Is Samson being used by God to accomplish his purposes? Well, according to Samson's prayer, the answer is yes. So what about his thirst? How did God respond to Samson's prayer? Well, he graciously, miraculously provides for his servant. And when he drinks, it says, Samson, his spirit returned, and he was revived, and he was restored. And the chapter finishes by telling us, see this guy? This guy then delivers Israel for another 20 years. Under Samson, who is God's man, Israel is rescued for two decades. Jawbone Hill was the scene of a significant victory, but the battle's not over. There's a huge showdown awaiting around the corner. But that's for next week. Today, I hope we can go from here with a renewed appreciation for Samson. This Christ-like deliverer sent by God for the salvation of his people who despite his brokenness is used powerfully by God. But even more importantly, I hope we go from here with a renewed appreciation of Jesus, our perfect, flawless, faithful deliverer who, like Samson, was sent by God to rescue us, to deliver us, to save us, to redeem us, to set us free, as we have thought about this morning. And most, one final comment. I pray, I pray that unlike the people of God in Samson's day, may we side with our deliverer as opposed to sell him out.